I am looking forward uh, to the day that he returns. And uh, I'll see him face to face. Paul said to live is Christ. Amen. And that's a good thing that I'm here and he's here with me. And I know that he'll never leave me, never forsake me. But one day I'm going to leave this world and I'm going to meet him in heaven and I'm going to be there with him. For me to live is Christ. He's here with me. For but to die is is better. It's more Christ. I'm there physically with him. I'll be able to see him and to touch him and to talk with him, to hear him physically, literally hear him. Boy, I can't wait for that day. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, the epistle of Second Peter. Second Peter. Yeah. Did I say first? At first I was in First Timothy, then First Peter, and now I'm in Second Peter. I don't know. We might wind up in Romans before it's over with. Amen. That's probably where I'm headed anyway. <sighs> yeah, I think it is. Second Peter. Chapter 1. Verse 1 through 10. Yeah. Uh, it looks like I would have remembered that as much as I have read it over the past... Three days, boy. I have been going through this in in my Bible, just you know, King James Version Scripture. Uh, I've been reading it in the Amplified uh, Version. Uh, I've gone through it in Vincent's Word Study, word at a time, trying to break down every syllable of every word and uh, understand exactly what this is saying. Well, the reason is is because of what it has to do with. Uh, I named this partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. If you look at verse 4, I'm just going to jump ahead for a second, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these great and precious promises, you might be, and here's the title of the message right there in the Scriptures, you might be partakers of the divine Nature. Now, uh, it's not really hard to understand, I guess, if we have the divine nature. It's not hard for us to understand spiritual things, scriptural things. But if we are lost and we don't have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us, uh, then it's not only hard, it's, it's really impossible for us to understand spiritual things. I believe that a Christian who's been born into the family of God has God's nature living within them because, well, we have God Himself in the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. But people who are trying to live the Christian life, trying to imitate and reflect the likeness of Christ on the outside, we're just trying to outwardly show a visible image but we don't have the divine nature of God living on the inside of us. They're living a, a, a deceived, uh, I believe James puts it like that, be doers of the word not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. Did, did you know that you can lie to yourself? Tell yourself that, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And I'm trying to live this outward Christian life and show the world what Christianity is all about. But we find out that we keep stumbling, faltering, and failing over and over and over. And ultimately, you see those people fall away and go back out into the world. 
Uh, one of the evidences that we do have the divine nature, one of the evidences, if not the primary evidence, that we have the Holy Spirit of God and the uh, essence of God living on the inside of us is because we continue running the race and fighting the fight. All of us fail. All of us stumble. All of us falter. We all uh, sin, but we don't give up. We don't give out. We don't give in. We don't turn back. You know, Paul said, surely they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. Well, I love that verse because it speaks to me uh, as a pastor, as a minister on so many different levels. Uh, I look at, at people not only who come to Christ all over the world, they come to church, they come to the Bible, they come to an understanding uh, of who Christ is, but but they have their own Christ, you know. It's not the Christ of the Bible. It's not, it's not the, the Son of God that gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed His blood, and died for our sins that we might surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. But they have this almost Santa Claus imagery or, or vision of who God and Christ is and, and that He is there for them to supply their needs, their wants, and their desires, but really doesn't demand very much back from us. And you see people who have that, that desire to try to outwardly show something that they don't inwardly have. It's a spurious faith. It's an artificial simulated Faith. I called, I, I preached a message one time, some might remember it. The title of it was Faith Light. And uh, it, it's a type of faith, but it's not really genuine saving faith. Uh, you can notice the difference between true faith and, or genuine faith and spurious faith when you look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 through 22. I'm going to bounce over there right quick and read that. For you, it says this, uh, for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world. Now, they escape the outward pollutions of the world by coming in to the church for a little while. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through knowledge, that is information gained. But information gained is not information used. Knowledge is not wisdom. There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And these people have escaped the pollutions of the world through a knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they are again entangled therein. In what? In the pollutions of the world and overcome. Well, the latter end for them is worse than the beginning. Why? For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, uh, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit, and the sound of the washing uh, uh, and wallowing in the mire. Now listen, were these sheep that converted back to being dogs and, and hogs? No. They were always dogs and hogs. And, and, and they, they didn't have to convert because they were never converted from hogs and dogs. They had a type of belief. It's a head knowledge of the facts, but not a heart knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Well, you see, it's only when we come into a heart knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ and receive Him as our Lord and Savior that it, we actually receive or become partakers of this divine nature 
that I'm talking about. These in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, they escaped the pollution of the world, but they didn't escape the corruption of their heart. They're, they're not truly saved because, again, if they go back to their old life after making a profession of faith for a while, the, that, that, that false Christian ultimately takes off the mask and you see the dog or the hog that's on the back side of that mask. Well, let's take a look at Second Peter in chapter 1. And we're just going to go through this very slowly, one verse at a time, and uh, we'll ultimately stop in verse 10. But in verse 1, it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I love that word. It says obtained. And it uses that word in a couple of different places in the New Testament. And where it, it talks about obtaining. It says, uh, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Now, that obtaining of that faith is not something that you work or you earn or you deserve or you desire because the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God as far as him chasing after see we we don't we don't look for the things of God when we're lost it's God that comes looking for us there's none the bible says this is a verse there's none that seeketh after God no not one who's it talking about well people who are dead in their sins and their trespasses but this letter that Peter is writing is obviously to people who have obtained like precious faith by the Holy Spirit of God, illuminating, regenerating, waking them up, drawing them to Himself, opening their hearts, illuminating their minds. They receive the gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Simon Peter, verse 1, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and through the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So what I'm saying in verse 1, or Peter is saying in verse 1, ultimately God is saying in verse 1, is that this letter is written to people who have received faith unto salvation. This is not written to the lost world. If the lost world opens the Bible when they drive into the do drop in, pull the Gideon Bible out of the drawer, flip it open like a lot of people do just to find you know something in there to read, and they hit uh, Peter, the gospel, uh, the gospel, the second epistle uh, of Peter, and they start reading this, they're reading somebody else's mail. They're reading a book that was written to the church, to Christians, people who have obtained faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You look at verse 2 and it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our, uh, of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that word knowledge, there is not, you know, I, I always uh, explain the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And of course, knowledge is just information gained, all right? And once you've gained the information or the knowledge, how you apply or how you use that information, how you use that knowledge is either wise or unwise. 
You either put it to use effectively in your life, and that is wisdom, or you discard it. I gain the knowledge, I understand what it says, but I spit it out like the seeds in a watermelon, and I don't want that in my life, and that is unwise. But this word has a little different connotation in it as I was doing a word study on it. What it is talking about is a full understanding of the concept of who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior. You know, I, I have a, a friend, haven't seen him in a long time. He gave up a business back in the, um, I believe, 1980s that he was making uh, a lot of money yet. He, he was really doing well. And God called him out of that business and into child evangelism. And uh, he came to Calvary Baptist Church several times. And boy, he'd pop a line down the middle with a rope. And he'd put kids on this side and kids on that side. They were Army. They were Navy. And he had nickel marches. Boy, he had everything in the world going on for these kids. Wonderful time. Named Jerry Pertel. Good guy. Loves the Lord. But you see, I, I wonder... If a lot of those little children, five, six, seven, eight years old, when they would come and they would have backyard Bible studies and backyard Bible schools in Vidalia all over, they would bring in teenagers and they would go through the neighborhood and they would have these backyard Bible clubs and they would lead these little children to the Lord and then they would bring them to the, to the uh, uh, church uh, for the Bible camp that, that Jerry Pertel was putting on. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder how many of these teenagers are explaining to these little children in a way that they can understand who Jesus is. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know why Jesus came, if you don't understand your need for a Savior because of your wretchedness and your sin, then what is it that you're actually believing in? Do you understand faith has to have a substance? It's not just faith in the name of Jesus or faith in the, the person uh, that, you know, the man Jesus was, and I don't know who he was or where he came from or why he came, but I believe there was a man named Jesus and I put my faith and trust in him. What are you trusting him for? If you don't understand who he is, that he's God in the flesh, gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed his blood and died for your sins. If you don't understand those things, then have you actually really done what verse 2 is saying? It's saying grace, unmerited favor and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you understand who he is? Now, if you go back to verse 1 and you have obtained like precious faith, then the only way that you obtain that like precious faith is by understanding our sin, our need, our gift of God the Father, of God the Son, on the altar, the cross, shedding His blood, dying for our sins, raised again for our justification. If you don't understand that, or never have understood that, doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized, doesn't matter how many times you've come to church, doesn't matter how many times you've walked the aisle, received, you know, the preacher's hand and said the prayer. Uh, what do they call it? The sinner's prayer. I believe the sinner's prayer sent more people to hell than anything else in church. Because we give them something to anchor to, something to hold on to, other than to Christ Himself. They don't know Christ. They don't understand Christ. They don't have the knowledge, the deep, total, full understanding of who He is to really have faith and trust in Him. Oh, but they know what they said at the altar. 
They, they said a prayer. I remember when I came down the aisle and I took a preacher by the hand and I knelt and I prayed and I wept and I begged God to forgive me and to save me, not knowing what I was asking for, not knowing who I was asking. Do you understand what verse 2 is saying? That grace, unmerited favor, and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge, that understanding, that information that everybody that is saved must have in order for them to be saved. And then verse 3 says this, According to His divine power, uh, or according as His divine power, hath given unto us all things pertaining unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Boy, I love that word called. He has called us. You know, I'm giving a call to every man, woman, boy, and girl sitting in the, under the sound of my ver- voice. And that is, a, that is a general call to everybody that has a set of physical ears. But in Revelation, the Bible says, Let him that hath ears to hear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. So there's a different thing, uh, a different calling than the verbal, physical, fleshly calling that's coming out from behind the pulpit to the physical ears of everybody sitting in here. It is a, it is a spiritual call that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to the ears, it speaks to the heart. It illuminates the mind, it regenerates the soul, and it draws people to Himself. And it says, according as His divine power. Do you understand the power that God is talking about is the regenerative power, the work of God in the heart and in the mind of a person who hears the word. Faith cometh by hearing, but hearing comes by the word of God. Hearing comes by hearing the word of God. Well, no, I can't hear the word. Hearing comes by the word of God. How much can a dead man hear? Nothing. Why? He's deaf. Why is he deaf? Because he's hearing, he's listening to spiritual things, but he cannot. The natural man, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he receive them. Why? Because they're they're spiritual. He's carnal, sold under sin, dead. He can't hear spiritual stuff. So faith comes by hearing, but he can't hear until the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, eliminates, regenerates, and wakes up, and then he's able by the divine power of God and the working of regeneration through the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration through the Word of God. I love the way that blends together. Do you understand what verse 3 is saying? According as His divine power has given unto us all things pertaining unto life oh, and godliness. God, That word godliness literally is god likeness. You see, we want to be like God. If, verse 1, we have obtained like precious faith through verse 2, the knowledge of God and the understanding of who He is and what He has done according to His divine power through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit through the washing of the water of God, then we are called, it says, according to His divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and God-likeness. You see, when we study the Word of God and hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against Him. What is sin? Sin is the violation of the law, the breaking of the commandments. I asked in Sunday school again this morning, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. What's the second? Like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. How many of you have ever done that? Nobody. We, none of us keep the greatest two commandments 
in the Bible. How often are we in violation of that? Every second of every day, of every week, of every year, every heartbeat of our lives. We are violating the Word of God in the greatest two commandments given to us in the Word of God. So what does uh, what hope do we have of salvation? Oh, it's according not to our power or our ability to keep the commandments and to do the works, but it's according as His divine power hath given unto us all things pertaining unto life. And you see, I, I was dead. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Why? Because I did the right thing? No. Because God did the right thing. God reached into my heart, illuminated my mind, regenerated my soul, drew me to Himself, and saved me. He has given to me all things that pertain to life. If it pertains to me being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, God did it. You want to know how much I contribute to my salvation? You want to know how much you contribute to your salvation, the sin that made it necessary. That's the only thing that you bring to the table. After that, everything is a work of God because we are dead and dead men can't do much. Well, no, they can't do nothing. Is that good English? I, I don't know if it's good English, but it's good theology, amen? We, uh, we can't do nothing apart from God. I'm the vine, you're the branch, he that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do Nothing. You're not a one. You're not a two. You're certainly not a ten. We have no hope outside of the grace of God and the grace of God that pertains to life. Oh, and godliness. Once I have become born again, regenerated, woke up, came to faith, received Christ as my Savior. Now I have everything that God has given me that I need to live a life of godly, godlikeness. And it goes on to say this, unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, boy, that word virtue, isn't that an interesting word? Of course, we, uh, we get our word virtuous from that, and we talk about chasteness, and we talk about morality, and we talk about, you know, uh, uh, living a moral life instead of a sensual uh, life in this godless system, in this godless world. But, but this carries with it, you know, there, there are a lot of virtues uh, in this world that has nothing to do with that type of morality. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible says that that uh, cleanliness is next to godliness and cleanliness is a good virtue. If you are a clean person and you take a bath and you... Uh, have a little bit of respect for yourself and a little bit of good pride, not evil or wicked pride in yourself and you take care of your home and your family and your children. Those are good virtues to have. But one of the virtues that we're talking about here is a little bit different. You look again at verse 4 and it says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, of course, the lust of the flesh can be a sensual, sensuous, uh, sexual thing, or it can be a lust of just physical pleasures of worldliness. You know, it's kind of like wanting to go, I would rather go to an amusement park than to a church. I remember a time in my life that I could have said that that was true. 
for me. I had no desire for the things of God. And I would rather go to an amusement, and ah means no, amusement means to think. And I would rather go to an amusement park and ride rides so I don't have to think about the weight of the sin that I'm carrying around on my shoulders and the things, the predicament that is in the world. And we really, really don't want to think about God and about the life that we should be living. We've escaped, though, by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, the pollution and the corruption that is in the world. Verse 5 says, And besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. So here's that word again, virtue. And what that is saying is a vigorous energy that we put forth the effort that it takes to be the Christian, to live the life, to run the race, to fight the fight, to be the person that God has called us to be. It is an energy, a vigorous activity, an action in our life. And when we put forth that activity, when we put forth that effort, that is a virtue, a godly virtue in our lives. You know, you look at verse 4 again, whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And it says uh, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped... You know, how, how do you escape, by the way, the corruption that is in the world through lust? You run. You run from it. The Bible says that we don't, you know, I know a lot of people who will, you know, talk to the devil, rebuke Satan. I'm afraid I'm not in that camp. The Bible tells me to flee from Satan. To run with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of my being. To resist Him. And to resist Him by escaping or fleeing from Him. And that's, that's what this is saying. That we've been given these precious promises in the Word of God. That by being partakers of this and hiding them in our heart. We might escape the corruption through running with all of our strength away from. See, that is that virtue. That is that divine energy that I'm talking about that is given to us by the divine Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. If we're not saved, if we've not received salvation by grace through faith, verse 1, and we've not done what verse 2 says, that our uh, uh, it's been multiplied, the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is by studying the Word of God, hiding it in our heart, then we're not going to have the energy and the power, the ability to flee from Satan and to run and to overpower those temptations in our life. What we're talking about is being partakers of the divine nature. The only way that I can do that is by having the divine Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And if I have that, then I'm going to run from evil and not flirt with it. Not, not get involved with things that I know are going to cause me to stumble and to falter and to fail. You look at verse 5 through 7, and uh, I want you to notice something here. And besides this, what, what is this? Of course, we're talking about uh, faith that takes to be saved. And besides having that gift of salvation by grace through faith, uh, give all diligence. There's that virtue of divine 
power and vigorous action, all diligence. Add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness or godlikeness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love or charity. And now what it is saying when it says add to in verse 5 and besides this give all diligence add to your faith. Now that's kind of misleading. You get a misconception. Though it's close, what it is really saying is that once you have achieved this and you are acting in the first gift, faith, then add to that or build on top of that the next step, which is virtue. And once you become fervent in your activities and striving against the flesh and striving against sin and hiding the Word of God in your heart, then you add to that, of course, knowledge, which is the basic information because now you've got the struggle down. I know how to fight. I know what to do. I'm willing and ready and able by the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me to run the race and to fight the fight. How do I do that? Well, add to your virtue knowledge. You fight the fight by studying the Word of God. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. And it goes on to say, and then to knowledge temperance. Well, boy, don't let knowledge puff you up. Don't let it make you proud or arrogant because then all of a sudden you're falling into the traps of the, the evil and Satan that is coming against you. So you become temperate and you learn how to control your power that God has unleashed in your life through the Holy Spirit and through knowledge of the Word of God. You become temperate and you become patient. Uh, and now patient is not, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. No, patience means that when I'm being virtuous and I'm running the race and fighting the fight, when I'm gaining the knowledge and the information, when I'm becoming temperate and learning how to do that, I've also got to realize that I'm going to run into walls in my life. I am going to run into people that are, are just absolutely hell-bent and bound and sent by Satan into my life to stir up my flesh and to try to get me to falter and to stumble and to fall. And if I'm not patient, if I'm not temperate, if I don't realize what's going on, if I don't look at it and see it for what it actually is, then my old nature, my old flesh, it's still there. It's not dead. Just because you're born again and have a new nature does not mean your old nature has died. And it's easy if you're not temperate, if you're not knowledgeable, if you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, and you're not patient and willing to continue the fight no matter how hot the battle gets then you're going to fall. And it says this, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, love. In verse 8 says this, and I, I love this. For if these things be in you, all of those things that I just mentioned, and you're building them one at a time. And as you build one, you go to the next, you add that, and you master it. And when you master that, you go to the next one, you build that, you master it. You go to the next one, you build that, you master it. And in so doing, you're running the race and fighting the fight. And then in verse 8, it says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. Now, barren and unfruitful are two different things. 
It sounds like if you're talking about a fig tree, you would be saying the same thing. He's being redundant. He's speaking the same thing over and over. If a fig tree is barren, that means it hasn't given any fruit. But there's two different kinds of fruit in the Christian's life. One of them, of course, bringing in the sheaves. You go out, you share your testimony, you share the gospel, you share your witness, and you're fruitful by winning people to the Lord. How many of you, and I'm not looking for hands, I didn't mean to raise my hand, so don't you dare do that, because some of you would feel uncomfortable by wanting to raise it and not being able to. But ask yourself the question, how many of you have ever led somebody to the Lord? I mean, really shared what God had done in your heart, shared the love of Christ with somebody. It makes you feel uncomfortable. I just don't know why. I can't do that. I, I love the Lord. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. It's not. God, God has commissioned us, each and every, not just the pastor, not just the deacons, not just the Sunday school teachers, but God has commissioned us as Christians to go forth and to plant seed, to be laborers in the harvest, to reap the harvest, because we're in the last days. And the harvest is ripe under, you know, I mean, it's ready. But the laborers are few. And one of the reasons that the laborers are few and that we're not reaping or, or producing that, uh, that, that fruit, um, we're barren in that area, is because we have not done these things. Speaking of verse 5 through Seven, giving all diligence to your faith, add virtue to your virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. We're not building on those things continuously, habitually in our lives. And therefore, we're unsteady. We're unsure. You look at the second word. If these things be in you they, uh, and abound, they shall make you. They shall make you that you shall not be barren nor unfruitful. Now that unfruitful, I believe, is speaking of what it is that lives on the inside of us that produces fruit. You see, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Mark Richardson. Now if I have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, nine flavor, one fruit, one fruit, because it is the fruit of the Spirit, and if I have that fruit living on the inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit, because I'm submitting my life to the Lordship of Christ, and I'm building in my life these things, these principles, these divine natures in my life, then I will not be barren when it comes to soul winning. When it comes to God the Holy Spirit using the words from our mouth, reaching in the ears and in the hearts of the people that we speak to and convicting them, illuminating them, regenerating, drawing them to Himself. You look at verse 9. And it says, But he that lacketh these things. You see, here's the contrast. You have the positive, you have the negative. That if these things be in you, they shall make you abound and be not barren nor unfruitful. But he that lacketh these things is blind. Now, we're not talking about lost. I, I labored, exercised greatly. Verse 1. So that you would realize when we got to this verse, and it uses that word blind. You think, well, who's blind other than lost people? Well, safe people can be blind. But they're not really blind. What it, what, what it really is, is that they're just nearsighted. Amen? They can't see past their own little concentric circle of influence. 
They can't see past their own little world of conception. Their own home, their own family, their own life, their own job, their own business. They don't want to break outside of their concentric circle of influence because it makes them feel uncomfortable. It says, but he that lacketh these things, even though he is saved, he's blind. That is, in the very next sentence says, and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Was he purged? Yes. Is he saved? Yes. Is he blind? Not completely. But boy, he's got blinders on. To where he can't, you know, you put the blinders on the old horse with the hat on, pulling the wagon. He's got a stick stuck out there with a carrot hung on the end of it. And all he's doing is trying to reach that carrot. And he can't see anything past that. My friend, Christians, in a great detail, are like that. We, we don't want to stretch. We don't want to grow. We don't want to reach. We don't want to be farsighted. We don't want to look past. You know, what it is that, well, is our greatest desires. And I, I say that with a wince. Because our greatest desire, our greatest love should be for the glory and honor of God. Our love and our commitment to Him should outshine anything else in our, our lives, including our loved ones, our families, our businesses. Nothing, nothing should outshine our desire to be used by God, to bring glory and honor to God. But he that lacketh these things is, is blind. He, he's nearsighted. He can't see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Well, you know, we are purged from our old sin. I believe we're not only purged from our old sin, but we're purged from our, our um, present sin. I believe that we are actually even purged from our future Sin. How many of our sins were in the future when Christ was hanging on the cross, purging them, uh, paying the price, shedding His blood, dying for our sins? All of our sins were in the future then. And it came a point in time that we were born and we came under the conviction and had to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. And of course, our sins had already been paid for. They were paid for, but now I receive the, and acknowledge the payment for those sins. It's not that all of a sudden now my sins become purged. They were purged when Christ purged them on the cross. He knew me. When He was on the cross, what's the song? I was on His mind. He knew me. He loved me. He saw me. He died for me. And He purged me from my sin. My friends, sometimes I think we forget whose we are. Not, not so much who we are, but whose we are. We are bought and paid for with a price more precious than silver and God. I don't, I don't own myself. I don't have the deed to my life. Christ purchased that deed. He owns it. I'm His. Praise God, He's mine. I live my life for His glory and His honor. I'm here this morning for no other reason than to encourage you to do the same thing. See, ultimately, I'm not here for you at all. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. You see, I stand behind this pulpit. I do what I do because I'm called to do what God has sent me to do. I'm here for my relationship with God. I'm doing what God has called me to do. What you do with it. You see, that's between you and God. 
Not you and me. This is not a horizontal thing here. This is a vertical thing. First of all, between me and God. Second of all, between you and God. And you're either going to hear what I say, let him that hath ears to hear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the church, not just what the preacher verbally says. It's the general call as opposed to the spiritual call. And if you deflect the call of God in your life, God help you. You may be saved, but my friend, I'll guarantee you this. You don't understand misery. The most miserable person on the face of the earth is not a lost person living in sin. They can actually enjoy life. They can enjoy their sin. They can have fun doing what they do. But we who are the children of God deflect the personal call of God and commandments of God in our lives then the wrath of God that we will endure is going to happen in this world because Christ took our wrath for the next one. God poured out His wrath for my sins on Christ. But here, when I do not obey, what does the Bible say? For whom He loveth, He chasteneth, scourgeth every child, every son that comes into this world. You look at what it says in verse 10, and you'll have the message it says this, Wherefore the rather brethren, here's that word again, give diligence. Man, I, I am diligently. You know, I, I ask our congregation, especially on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights when I'm down on the floor behind a podium besides behind the pulpit, when I'm down there, I ask them, the people that are, how do we learn? How do we learn? Repetition. 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 You see, my daddy used to tell me the same thing over and over and over. He taught children, he taught dogs, and he taught horses all the same way. With a loud voice, a loud whistle, and a big stick. And repetition. And he would tell me over and over and over. He'd tell that dog, and boy, I'll tell you what, when that dog heard that whistle, them ears went up. And I don't care if he was out in the pasture, he was coming home. He was coming to look for what the Master was calling him for. And so should we. If we have ears to hear the whistle, the call of God in our lives, certainly we should give reverence to that. For in verse 10 it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, giving diligence to make your calling and election sure. How, how can I? How can I? How can I do that? Give my calling. Make my calling and election sure. Well, I, I want to read a verse to you out of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. And my pages are stuck together. There it is. And hereby do we know that we know Him. I, I quote this verse from behind the pulpit all. Hereby do we know that we know Him. How do we know that we know Him? If we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar. And the truth's not in Him. Let not that man think he's going to receive anything. From the Lord. Hereby do we know. Hereby do I know that I know Him. Hereby do you know that I know Him. If you watch me, you can see that I live a life that is pleasing to God by keeping the commandments. And if we are not striving against sin to keep the commandments and live the life, then we cannot be sure of our own salvation. You, you can't be sure. Listen. Why would you come and listen to this bald-headed preacher standing behind this pulpit preach to you the Word of God if you didn't have some inkling or some confidence that I was at least saved? 
I don't understand how other denominational distinctives that believe that a person can be saved and lose his salvation. Why would they come back to church? They never know from Sunday to Sunday whether that guy has actually fallen and lost relationship. Not just fellowship, but lost relationship with God. And now I'm listening to somebody that's saying, thus saith the Lord, and he don't even know the Lord. But this verse says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. How do I do that? By knowing that I know Him because of the change He has created in my heart. And that change in my heart has created a change in my life. In the way that I live. And I give diligence to be faithful to the Word of God. Making your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Wasn't that good? Isn't it good to know that unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Unto him, God, that is able to keep me from falling. Falling where? Down? I fall down all the time. The older I get, the more I fall. But no, it's talking about falling in sin. And ultimately, falling completely away in sin. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. And He is able to keep me from falling away from Him into perdition or to lostness because of the Holy Spirit of God moving in my heart and giving me the desire, the unction, the virtue. To work vigorously for the glory and honor of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this opportunity. God, to stand behind this pulpit, I realize the unworthiness of your servant. God, I know that it is only you and your word that has any power from behind this pulpit. God, how I pray that through the the spoken word and the Holy Spirit of God moving in hearts, illuminating minds, drawing people to yourself. God, that people would come and be faithful and submit and surrender, not only here in this church, but those that are out in uh, Facebook world and land and uh, all over the planet. God, that, that I hear this on sermon audio. God, how I pray that your Holy Spirit would move hearts, drive people to come to be faithful to you because you and you alone are worthy. And we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.